Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. How do you take maternity leave if you run your own business? While the state of maternity leave in America is pretty dire, 88% of women who work get zero paid leave, and fathers and co-parents are lucky if they get something like two weeks. The idea of taking a maternity leave and being able to truly leave your work isn't a reality for a lot of working women. And by that, I mean, if you were somehow able to take a year away from your work and your business, would you want to? Would your business still be functioning if you are the owner and the operator of your business? Herein lies the paradox and also the challenge. What do you do as a business owner or as an entrepreneur who wants to keep a functioning business while also building a family? Today's guest is going to talk to us about all of this. Stacy Trock is an entrepreneur, a marketing consultant, an author, and a teacher. Her career began as an entrepreneur and social media maven behind Fresh Stitches. She amassed a Facebook following of more than half a million fans while running one of the largest subscription clubs in the world. She has a sharp understanding of the motivations that underlie consumer purchases, and she specializes in connecting small businesses in the yarn industry with easy-to-implement and trend-setting marketing ideas. Also, she's got a three-year-old, and she recently taught a big class with Creative Live called How to Take a Maternity Leave Without Putting Your Life on Hold. So today, we're going to talk about all of this. We're going to talk about her number one tip for scheduling that makes it work as a parent for her. What happens when you don't have a network of support beyond your immediate tiny nuclear family and how to make it work and what it looks like. And we're going to talk about how to take a maternity leave if you are the one, the sole operator of your business. And also, we're going to talk about what it's like to function after your kid has been vomiting all night or after you've been vomiting all night, because this happened to her about 48 hours before we recorded the show. And you know what? She sounds amazing on this episode, and yet again, I'm impressed by all of the parents that I get to interview. So let's get into our chat with Stacey. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today, I've got something fun I want to tell you about. We are putting together a weekly letter that we send out to all of our readers. In the letter, we talk about the joys, the pains, the difficulties, and really useful strategies for making motherhood and work a little bit easier and more joyful. Sign up at startuppregnant.com slash newsletter. We are also organizing all of the information on our website into three streams, pregnancy, parenting, and entrepreneurship. So you can find resources and guides on figuring out how to manage your pregnancy, tips and best books on parenting, and success strategies from other entrepreneurs all about running your own business. Take a look through our website. And if you've got something in particular that you want to see or you want us to work on, we are always reachable by email. Just send us a note. I'm Sarah at hello at startuppregnant.com. Yes, I just gave you my direct email address. And you can tell me what you think would be really useful because I love hearing from you. And if you want to tell us we're awesome, we also take that as well. We love having that in our email inbox. Thanks so much. All right, let's dig in. 
Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a minute and say thank you to all of you that are listening to this podcast. We started only just a few months ago, and over the last three months, I've been getting your emails and your letters and your notes, and they mean so much to me and to us at Startup Pregnant. As a new mama myself, it's always a journey in exploring what works and how does it work and deciding how you're going to build your family and what you're going to focus on in business. And none of these are easy questions. So instead of sponsors today, I wanted to take some time to read aloud what some of you have shared with me. In your letters, you have written to me about your families, your pregnancies, your businesses, your worries, and so much more. Sarah, you wrote in that you don't have that many mamas in your life that understand both mamahood and startup land. Amen, sister. That's why we're doing this. And Kelsey, you have two babies already. And you shared that in your unexpected first pregnancy, you found out that you were pregnant in the office bathroom at 6.30 a.m. As the very first full-time employee at the company you work for, you had not one but two babies while being right inside of startup land. And Bonnie, you wrote to me about how business can learn from birth and parenting. And if you can't tell, I'm nodding my head right now. But yes, there's so much we can learn in the way that we show up in the business world about about what it means to be a full person. And there's so many lessons from pregnancy and from parenting that apply to business that we need to start to listen to. Emily, I loved hearing your story. You shared just how powerful you've been finding all of these interviews. And you're not even a parent yet, which I love hearing. But you are married, you're an entrepreneur. And you said you shared with me that you're actively undecided about whether or not you want to have kids. And so this has been a place for you to listen in and to learn. And for all of those of you that have written in and said, thank you, that have said, keep going, that have told me that you are finding value in the podcast, maybe you don't know how much these words mean to me, but they are fuel and they keep me going. And I am so grateful that I'm able to do this podcast. So thank you so much. All right, everybody. I am so excited to have Stacy Trock here on the show. Stacy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. When I found out the class you taught at Creative Live, I was like, we have to be on the show together. You need to come and share all of your wisdom. But first, I want to ask you, what time did you wake up this morning and what was your morning like? Okay, cool. That's a great question. It depends when you count morning. The night before last, this is probably like TMI, the night before last, I had a stomach bug and so was uh, throwing up all night. And I have a almost three-year-old and she gets very, I don't know what to say, except nervous when I'm sick. So all day yesterday, she was super clingy. And all last night, no lie, she had like nightmares all night long. So I probably was up every hour since, you know, like midnight started. And she'd just be like, no, I'm bored of Peppa. And she's just <laughs> screaming. And I know she's never bored of Peppa or like, no, the key is on the left or something. I mean, just crazy stuff all night long. So I've just been awake. I got up for realsies at 630. And I'm saying this because this is a maternity mom sort of thing. She would not let me put her down until her dad took her to school at 30 this morning. So I literally held her while I brushed my teeth, while I went potty, while I 
made breakfast because she's just like on edge because I've been sick and that I guess that I don't know I guess little kids might think you like might die or something but I'm like I'm bad I'm getting better I'm getting better (laughs) but so that's my morning which is awesome because I just read on LinkedIn Sarah Hollowbeck who's a CEO and one of the women I interview in the creative live class she just caught like you know someone wrote this blog post like here's what so-and-so famous CEO had for breakfast and what you can learn and she's like, hey, if you want to interview me, I was woken up by someone vomiting in their bed at 4 a.m. <laughs> Why don't you try that out? You know, because it's so ridiculous, like all this stuff about what Bob eats for breakfast. And that's why he's an amazing CEO. It's so irrelevant. Like, we're all people like doing our lives. And I think this is just part of the start of that traditional what it takes to be successful crap <laughs> yep, yep. BS. Yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah so I'm at work like having a normal work life but I have a little person who has her own needs and I'm a person too who has my own needs which include like taking medicine in the morning and like you know having access to a toilet a few days ago and we're people yes oh you poor thing <laughs> I'm so sorry are you feeling any better I'm fine. You know what I think? And this will probably come up, you know, later and when we're talking about like, the stress of just having a kid and being in that first year is, well, yeah, so I am feeling better. Your body can only take so much and we all push ourselves so hard. And I think this is just one of those months, you know, my company does like big Black Friday things. And it's just one of those months where you're just like pushed to the max and your body's like, okay, cool. I'm checking out soon. Like this is your (laughs) final warning, you know? And I've had strep. I've had two stomach bugs and I, I'm going on vacation Sunday. So I'm just making it to the end of the week. (laughs) I know I haven't found a way around it. Sometimes I find that like when the biggest business things come along, so do the biggest sicknesses and you're just like, come on, like what's happening? (laughs) You're just at your max. And I think one thing I actually hate saying things like, well, women do this and men do this and whatnot. But one thing that's very common is women tend to not only run their businesses, but also have a very proactive role in the house. And so the burden of so much stuff happening really falls on you in a way that like is never really stopping. And Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to catch a break. Like, for instance, when I'm sick and have to go to bed early, it's like this huge change in our house because now I'm not putting my daughter to bed. And she's like, well, what's going on? And then, you know, you're not getting the same break Mm -hmm. kind of that you might need. A thousand percent. And somebody said this recently, I think it was Cheryl Strayed, and she was being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. And they talked about morning routines. And Cheryl said, well, all these morning routines by and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I don't have the quote in front of me. But she's like, all these morning routines by academic professor like writing men from 50 years ago, they're all great, but their wives were bringing them lunch. Like, yep. So they could get up early in the morning and be uninterrupted because somebody else was taking care of the children and the house and feeding them. And if, you know, if I had somebody feeding me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And two, we don't live near family. And so we'll probably get into this a bit more, but like a lot of stuff you read online kind of has in the background that there's this grandma who can take the kid if they're sick, or there's this, you know, aunt 
who like would be happy to bring over dinner. Like when we have the flu, there's no one who will come within a thousand yards of us, right? Like we are on our own here. It's my husband, me and our little one. And that's it. Like it's Grubhub who will come and and we're completely on our own. And so I think a lot about how society has changed. Like I have a job and I can be near not my social network because of the internet, but that's changed a lot about how our family structure works. And so that's all stuff we're just getting used to right now, I think. I think what you're saying is actually so important because it's something I'm experiencing and I've heard from so many people that I've interviewed. Like what happens when you don't have the network of support beyond the immediate tiny family? And there are so many single mothers out there. Mm-hmm. If you're a single mother doing this all by yourself and there's no grandparents, there's no partner, like how does it work? What does it look like? I mean, to me, it feels like it's breaking. I don't know what it feels like to you. Yeah. I mean, my tip, and I mean, I don't even know if this is like a big tip. I have to schedule less work. I mean, let's say my daughter's in school from let's say 830 to three, I go, you know, I leave to go get her. I schedule less work than that time consumes because I plan basically on one day a week being knocked out by something. So for me, I schedule nothing on Friday. And if I get to have lunch with a friend, that's awesome. If Monday we're sick in bed throwing up, that's fine because I have Friday. It's my lax time. If for goodness sakes, I actually get that Friday and I can like spend some time reading and doing some, you know, intellectual development. That's awesome. But it happens like once every four weeks because stuff happens and your life is first. I mean, I believe really strongly in getting the work you promised done for living a life that usually means having so much padding in your schedule. And that's the only way I've found to make it work, quite honestly, because there's no backup. I am the backup. That's so brilliant. I'm actually going to take a note and do that myself. (laughs) Like, don't schedule things on Fridays. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be Friday. I mean, it's lame if it's Monday because you can't scoot things into the month, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. into the Monday. But yeah, like, or if it's two afternoons, whatever it is, you cannot book every moment because that's assuming a perfect world where nothing happens. And that's not life. Mm-mm. I've never encountered a perfect world. Try as I might right. to pretend that it exists. Okay, so well, let's take people through the story. Tell us about what yeah. Fresh Stitches is and about your journey into entrepreneurship. Yeah, so back in 2008, which was a really long time ago in internet world, I finished grad school and I just knew the academic path wasn't for me because I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> and I was like, what can I do? And Etsy was just coming up. And for people in the yarn industry, Ravelry was kind of, you know, new. And the idea of selling downloadables was just coming around. And I thought like, well, I crochet, I've crocheted my whole life, I can make these instructions that people purchase as downloads. And this is genius. Because the great thing about digital downloads is that you make it once and people can keep purchasing it like a class or whatnot. And so I just started doing it and people thought I was, am I allowed to cuss that crazy? Sorry. You are. You are. We have a, we have a bleep out tool. So that way moms can listen, but cuss away. People thought I was freaking crazy. Like, I mean, I told people, thank you. I've received my PhD. I'm now going to start up an Etsy shop selling $5 downloads for crochet instructions for stuffed animals. I mean, like, 
people thought I had lost my mind. And but I was just like, you know, the main thing I care about is flexibility in my life. And actually, that's why academia had been initially interesting is because you don't have to tell someone you need to go to the dentist, you just go and as long as you're getting your work done, it's fine. And you show up for your classes. So I started it and it became really successful. So it started growing, I moved to my own website instead of Etsy, I started a physical shop as well. So that's selling yarn, supplies, eyeballs, things like that. I also separate from fresh stitches, start teaching around the country, teaching knit and crochet, I've written three crochet books. Yeah, so it was just super successful. And then in 2015, my daughter was born January 4th. So I always forget what year it was. January 4th, 2015 is when I had my daughter, I took what I call a semi maternity leave. And the year of 2015, which works great for, you know, fiscal calculations, I earned 65% of what I did the previous year, mostly trying to keep the work to her naps or after she went to bed. I'm not going to say it was easy. But I certainly think it's possible if you structure your work the right way to keep things rolling for a year or two while you take kind of more time that you need for your family. And so the first year, my husband's an academic, so we just sort of have flexible schedules. We went to Australia twice, which is where my husband's from. We went to Spain. My daughter was on 30 flights the first year. So we was like a digital nomad, you know, traveled around the world and did my work on the computer. And it was awesome. Wow. And stressful. And stressful. stressful. I don't want to forget to add that part in case it all looks too rosy. (laughs) So you made the conscious choice to scale back on work and to work only during her nap times. Did you ever consider having help or care? What did that look like? uh, It was complicated because in my fantasy world, I kind of always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, except I had this really, really successful business. And so it just was not an option to me to step away in a classic sense. You know, if you don't answer emails for a year, you're not going to come back to a company. You know, it's just not possible. I mean, sorry, I don't want to say that. Maybe it's possible for someone. It's not possible for me running a very customer intensive business. I felt kind of not right putting her in daycare so early and like, you know, at six months or so. And we were traveling. So I don't know, it just never really worked. I was nursing. And so it seemed really hard to like, I don't know, pump and then like take her somewhere with, yeah, I don't know, we just did it. The answer is I outsource more of my business instead of outsourcing childcare, which mm. are two completely legitimate options, right? You can outsource whatever you feel like. I made the decision to outsource a lot of my business. We're only having one baby. I wanted to like be all over her and just do that for a little while. So yeah, I spent a lot more money than I ever had before hiring a new graphic designer, really relying on my web developer, getting a forum manager for managing like online forums and things. So that was the path I took. And you bring up a great point that you can break it down any way you want to break it down, whether it's bringing in outside help for childcare, whether it's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, another way we really quote unquote outsource was food. I just went to Trader Joe's and bought the pre-made lamb, whatever, and we put it in the oven. Like, you know, so that's another kind of outsourcing. And it was just a year where we just sort of said, this is what we're doing. I want to keep the business running this kind of way and we have to eat and we're just going to spend prior to cleaner for the first time in my life. 
We're just going to spend what we have to do to keep it rolling. Hmm. So given that you did less in your work while still running a business, but you had to make decisions about what are you going to do? What are you not going to do? How did you make those decisions? What did you decide to do? And and what else did you decide specifically for the business to cut back to get to that 65% number while still making it work? Two things is one, I was super upfront. I had an auto reply on to my customers. I basically was saying, I'm on maternity leave. Don't expect much from me. I was really doing more perhaps than people felt I was just because I wanted to sort of downplay expectations. I really focused on the things that made money. So if you had asked me to do a podcast interview, I'd say, I'm really sorry. I can't schedule that this year. And that's like kind of crazy. But I honestly didn't do any podcasts, didn't do any interviews or anything for a full year. One, because it's actually incredibly difficult to schedule a time if you're the caretaker of a small baby where it's going to be quiet for an hour, right? Like if you don't know what time their nap time is going to be, bupkis, that's not happening. So any of those kinds of things that weren't directly bringing in an income or weren't bringing in a long-term income. So I didn't take on any, let's call them freelance projects or one-off, one-time things. What I did do was, so I had a subscription club, a physical subscription club that, you know, I purchased the yarn, I rewound it and shipped it out in packages. That was a regular income coming in. And if I, let's say, screwed up and lost customers, not only did I lose the payment this month, I lost them next month and the next month and the next month. So that recurring sustainable income was something I really wanted to keep going, not just currently. I really encourage people to think about what do you want to be making two years from now? What do you need to keep the system going in the long term? So really, all I was doing was managing customer emails so they didn't get cranky and doing my product shipments in a way that was recurring sustainable income. And anything else, I just didn't do. A lot of people worry about is losing out on future deals or whatever. I was approached to do an online class. So I also teach crocheting on Craftsy. And they approached me while I was in that first year. And I just said, I'm really sorry. I have a six-month-old at home. I just can't. And they were like, okay, cool. And I did it when she was 14 months old. So I also encourage people to be honest about your limitations and just say, hey, I really want to do that. That's not something I can do in the next two months. Can I do it at this time period? And a lot of people, you know, unless it has to happen this minute, a lot of companies are really flexible about it. And they want to hear that you're in the game and you're interested. And it's just not going to work right now. And someone would say the same thing if they like had hip surgery, right? Like, I can't do it this month. Talk to me in four months. Mm. I love that. So the three things you just said are so useful. Like number one, you can downplay expectations. So sending out, yeah, that preemptive email that says, hey, I'm on maternity leave. I'm only going to be doing X. And then if you happen to be able to do Y and Z, amazing. But that way you're setting yourself up for not overwhelm. And then Mm -hmm. number two, you said no to things that weren't bringing in long-term business or that were one-off projects. Again, I'm scribbling notes because that's such a useful way of determining, you know, emails come in and they say, hey, I've got this amazing project and it looks amazing. Well, what do you say yes to and what do you say no to? Great rule. And then number three, don't worry about losing out on future deals. 
But what you said that I think was so genius is you're shifting it to the future. Like if Ted comes calling and they say, hey, we want you to be on stage in 2018, your response isn't no, it's what about 2019? And if they're like, no, it's really only 2018. Well, maybe you pump included get up there or maybe, you know, so that's such an interesting way of thinking about it. I love these tips. And so one story I have, I guess, so I turned down any new teaching gigs, let's say, but I am in a teaching, I don't know what you call it, not a contract, whatever. I'm in on a teaching gig I really like. And it's four conferences a year. And I love these and I want to be in them. And I didn't feel like I could say, sorry, I can't come this whole year. I just did, you know, that. Right. Maybe I was wrong. I just didn't feel like I could do that. And so I skipped one, like the week after my daughter was born, obvious. Um, and mm-hmm. then the next one, I brought my whole family to the conference. And so I literally made no money because I was paying for my husband to be in the room as well as his ticket and whatever. But that was fine. It's fine to not make money because you want to make sure you're making money in a year. So for me to come, have the experience, still be in it, it didn't cost me money, right? But I had a two-month-old sitting in the hotel room and I'd go back and I'd feed her and they were all there. And that's what made it work. So I really encourage people to think about what they need to do to make it keep working in a year. So I know that you have a story about your physical goods subscription. So you have this yarn club. And you mentioned there's one time that you got the shipment in about 36 hours before. Yeah, that happened. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I look back on this and I'm like, how the heck did I do it? I don't even know. So my daughter was born in January. My husband in the month of March was gone for a month because he had already accepted like a teaching, whatever, at a different university before like we knew we were pregnant. So the academic calendar plans things out like a year and a half. So he was gone from when she was two and a half months to three and a half months. And this must have been like a week before he was leaving. So the way the yarn shipment worked was I would order the yarn specially ordered because I was ordering such large quantities and they'd come on these really big cones in the colors that I had picked and I would have to wind them on a, a machine and put them into the packages. Given that I was just working during my daughter's naps, I would give it like two weeks to process all of this. So I would say, what's that, 2, 14? You know, we're talking about 40 hours of work, let's say, all up. And then the mill that makes the yarn had some kind of who knows what problem. The yarn literally arrived 36 hours before I had to ship these out. And this was the first one I was packing since my daughter was born. So I was like, this is a bad omen. Um, And I just have a snuggly baby. I don't know. Other people have different personalities of kids. My daughter just wants to be held all the time. And maybe that's me because I wore her because I was trying to do whatever. So we just, and my husband doesn't really know how to do any of this stuff. So we just like stayed up 36 hours straight. Like I'd take an hour nap, he'd hold our daughter, then I'd wind some stuff. Then maybe he'd like tape some boxes and we just did it. One tip I do have that I also mentioned in my creative life class is, so as you're preparing, okay, you're going to have a baby planning out what the next few months are like, just pretend you're like a brain dead zombie. And I wrote out a manual for every task I did with the steps. You might not be able to even do them, 
Like maybe a spouse has to do it or a friend, or maybe you have to hire someone last minute. You can hand them this paper that says like, these are the steps. So I really couldn't even remember how to print my shipping labels. I went into my file and I was like, okay, open this. Yep. Put the customer. Yep. Down. And and that may sound silly, but like the process for printing 600 labels, like you have to download the orders and like do something to the Excel spreadsheet. So it really was like kind of complicated. But that's what I did for myself, because you're kind of brain dead sometimes. And you want to just be able to plow through and do it. That makes so smart. (laughs) Again, right? I I know I keep saying that I'm like, Oh, that's so smart. Ooh, that's so smart. But really, one of the things that I think is so important, and this is why I think it's so important to hire like even an assistant for 15 or $20 an hour, Mm -hmm. or just one other person in your new company is because having to write down the processes and the steps for doing something and get that kind of stepping out of doing it yourself mentality is so important, not just for a maternity leave, but also for running a business. It is. And also just you want to hire someone when the poop isn't already on the fan. You know what I mean? So if you (laughs) have the ability to hire someone a few months before you're due and train that person to keep doing the tasks, that's so much better than like, holding a two week old baby being like, uh, the stuff's over there. Um, like, uh, put it in some bags or whatever. So yeah, the more you can plan those things out, the better. Right, right. Instead of flying by the seat of our pants, although both happen. So you teach Mm -hmm. this amazing class at Creative Live, and it's all about creating your own maternity leave as an entrepreneur, right? Is that the... Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. What I experienced was peers of mine, many women sort of put their baby into daycare like the first second it's open because they have no choice or because that's the choice given to them by their employer, you know, like come back or else. Or a lot of women leave the workforce because they don't want to go that path. And so I just feel like it's ridiculous that you know, women who work 50 years of their life feel like they have to give up a career that they've probably spent 15 years training for, or having experience in feel like they need to walk away just because it won't suit this, you know, one year, two year blip. And so I'm really passionate about it. And I'm also kind of like a time management sort of organizational freak person. So yeah, I was super excited about the opportunity to teach this class because I think it's so important to just get the message out that we're in charge of our own destinies. Aren't these what businesses are supposed to do? They're supposed to work for us. Like many of us started because we wanted a flexible schedule and because we wanted to like take two weeks off and go on a vacation or whatever. And we just person after person has that dream and then starts the business. And then they're so mired down in the day in and day out. It's like they're not living the life they actually want to live. So just to refocus and be like, make your business work for you. I think that's so important. How do you cut down the noise, you know, the pressure? There's so much looking outside at other people's businesses, OPBs, other people's businesses, and thinking (laughs) that we should, you know, oh, so-and-so is doing all of these things. And how do you find the stillness or the ability to look at your own business and stay in your own lane and say, this is important to me and this isn't? Do you have any good practices around that? Well, I have two paths. (laughs) One is like the more Zen path of like, everyone's different, you know, like, And I don't have a lot good to say about that. But I guess I just was more like in the second path of like, 
firefighter mode. Like I didn't even have time to look at other people's Instagram whatevers. You know, I was doing my job. And yeah, you know, Becky has six kids on a farm. I think actually what I did, this is sort of awful. I sort of like would make up excuses about other people. I'd be like, yeah, well, Becky has her mom living on the farm. That's why she can do it. Or like, well, Kiki like has a maid. So that's why, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. And no one has your life. And actually, I think it's incredibly difficult in this day and age to even get advice because like, let's pick the most mundane thing, like what vegetables are best to feed your kid or whatever. Other people don't even know, does your kid have gastric reflux or like there's so many variables and you're just living your own life. And so few people, especially me, me being a person who's moved and doesn't have like these high school friends or like these friends I've known for 40 years. Well, I'm not even 40, but 20 years. It's so hard to find people who are really willing to delve deep into your experience and give you advice that's really, really good for you and not just parroting what worked for them. You know what I mean? And so I think I just hit this point where I was just like, screw what everyone else is doing. And half the people are unhappy anyway. Like, just because someone posts a pretty picture of like their cat and their six kids and their like successful business doesn't mean they're happy. I mean, I think we're seeing now like the generation that's coming up that's teenagers now has the highest rate of depression that we've ever had. And it's really strongly linked to smartphone usage because of the fear of missing out because, oh, that everyone's life looks so great on Facebook and Instagram. And I think I had personally reached a point of just being fed up with it, um, (laughs) that it really allowed me to be like, I'm just doing my own thing. Mm. I mean, you write down your goals. I wanted to have a kid. I wanted to spend some time with her. I wanted my business to not collapse. I had a certain amount of money I wanted to bring in and I wanted my marriage to be healthy. Those Mm -hmm. were my goals. And having a clean living room wasn't on there. You know, pick the thing that you might feel envious of. You can put it on your goal list. You're going to have to kick some other things off your goal list. So if your goal is having like a size four body and competing in like Ironman, fantastic. You probably can't run your business too. And so you pick your goals. And you just do them. And then once you're doing that, there's no space for feeling envious because you realize you have to kick something else off of your goal list. And I thought my goal list was really good. Mm, That's so wise. And I think I think there's something subtle in here that's worth saying out loud, which is like if it feels like not quite enough, like if your goals feel like not quite big enough, they're probably just right. And and I'll say that from my own experience. My goal for 2018 next year is to host a successful podcast and to get sponsors for it. And it doesn't sound like this super glamorous, amazing goal. The temptation in me is to be like, well, and then also like publish a bestselling book and speak on TED and do all the and it's like, you know, Sarah, you know what, like, let's keep it simple. And sometimes that smallerness of it, or or maybe it's just real, right? This is a real goal that I'm really going to go. Yeah, go ahead. I think we confuse goals, like things we are putting actionable items this week for with pie in the sky dreams. Mm. And dreams and goals are different. So it's great that you dream to be on TED. You shouldn't dedicate this week's to do list to doing that, right? Mm -hmm. So goals are things that you think you can accomplish and that you actively want to work towards. And I think we've confused those things recently. I mean, I don't know how this happened. I think, yeah, social media is rough. I think 
it's really hard to tell what's going on on the inside of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really put too much validation in a picture I see. I'm going to tell a story that's sort of depressing just because I think it sort of speaks to this point. So I had a friend. She had a baby about a year after my daughter was born. And this was one of my closest friends, not from a long distance perspective, but we were living in Minneapolis. This was one of the, you know, friend I saw every week and had been doing for two or three years. She had the baby. You know, we knew she sort of was a bit sad. We found out after when the baby was pushing two months old that she had actually been sent to an inpatient like Monday through Friday, nine to five treatment center for postpartum depression. And she had never told us. And how would I know? Like, I don't know. I didn't like drop by her house Monday at, you know, 11 a.m. to see if she was there. I never knew. And this was someone I saw every week, right? I had been seeing her and she just never told me. And then next week she committed suicide after telling us she had completed the program. Everything was fine. That was a dark time, but don't worry. Like I've completed the program and she committed suicide the next week. Oh, sweetie. just never know. Like, you can't get into someone's brain. And if I can't tell you, I think I know two more people in my industry, like the craft industry who have committed suicide. And you look at their last Instagram post, and it's some Christmas stuff. It's some, it's a cute puppy, it's whatever. And you just never know. And so don't hustle after someone else's photos, you know? I think this speaks to something that's so important. And it's this pressure that women feel to make it look like everything's all right. Yeah. To make it look like we have it all together, that we're doing it well. There's this weird double standard that's like, not only do you have to be successful, but you also have to look like it wasn't that hard to do. Yeah, that's and I- certainly true. And I think also, we touched on this just earlier. I think we are just not used to what it is like to not live near a community. Like you think about what life was like even 50 years ago. My mom grew up in the exact same town her mom was born in. She had the same friends through high school. Like these are people who knew you deeply. And so like if you burned a casserole dish, it didn't reflect on you. You know, Patty knew that Nancy wasn't really an awful cook, but her oven flaked out one day, right? Like the one act you did didn't reflect on your character because you had a lifetime of experiences. But now, if everything is a photo on Instagram to thousands of strangers, or if you just moved into a town and someone's only known you for a year, every action you do feels so deep because this is telling them what you're really like. And that's an enormous amount of pressure. Yeah. I mean, now I'm going to get into questions that I don't know if they have any easy answers. So the first question is, like, how do we start to change this? And, and how do we invite more community into our lives? So for you specifically, are there practices that you have to develop stronger chosen family or community around you? And if so, what's working? What's not working? What are you trying? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one thing, well, which I'm doing Sunday, my husband and I have just agreed that like, we will travel Sorry, it's making me kind of weepy. It's such a deep question. We will travel wherever we need to to do the family thing. 
I mean, I can't even tell you how much money we spend to go to Australia for a month every year, which is where his entire family, he's Australian. We are the first person to go to a wedding. And, you know, because we went to grad school, all of our friends just live all the wherever, all over the US. And we go to Ohio, we go to Santa Clarita, wherever, and we'll go because it's so important to us to keep connections to people from our past because we don't have people around us. Now, that said, it's great, but it's not helping us on a day-to-day basis. So we actually joke, like when we go back to Australia every year, this will be my 11th time going. It's kind of just like living in a TV show because we see all these same people every Christmas and we sort of just play out like a skit. You know, it's like we're the funny people coming from the U.S., And they're not people we talk to every week. So it's like, oh, wow, you're in L.A. That's cool. Yeah. What's new? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't say it's working, but it's the best we can do. I do have a couple friends nearby. And one thing I really do do is I schedule people in my calendar like meetings, like their meetings. So I have one friend every other Friday. We have lunch and it's in my calendar like a dentist appointment is. I have a mastermind group that's the second Thursday of every month at 10 a.m. And these are recurring things that are just in my calendar. I actually just talked to a friend from high school yesterday who I'm segregating my email list or whatever. So I just emailed him and we just had a video chat. And before I got off the phone, I was like, we need to do this not every four years let's put a thing in for February. And so just putting it in your calendar really helps. But I don't have any tips to answer this day to day, deep sense of community, because it's hard. Yeah. Um, And I feel like we moved to LA after having our daughter. This is our fifth state we've lived in. It's taken us longer to get settled here because of the time constraints of having a child. So, you know, back in the day, you know, maybe every night we'd drive to a new place just to see what it's like, or we see this neighborhood or whatever, you know, that's not necessarily compatible with having a two-year-old. So instead we go out, you know, one weekend we try something new and it can't be too far because she gets carsick. So it's definitely hard. Yeah. I don't have an answer to that. Do you have an online forum? For Startup Pregnant? Yeah. Yeah, we have a community group of about 250 people right now where we get to have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, I think those are so useful. And it's hard because it's not in person. But I think it's about taking the time to get to know other people deeply and being in their shoes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Instead of just like, throwing it out there. So I do think a forum where you're really getting to know the people on a recurring basis, that might be all we can do right now, you know? I think that's so smart. Again, I keep saying this to everything that you're saying. But also, (laughs) what I really appreciate about what you're saying is the honesty of it, where there's no perfect answer. It's not a scripted like, and here are the 10 steps for what to do to build community. But the reality of each of us struggling with this and figuring out what do we do that works? And what's missing? And how are we going to make this something that really works for us is I think everybody listening is going to just also be sighing, exhaling with me being like, okay, great. I'm not alone. We're all trying. We're all trying to figure this out. How do we get off social media, but stay on it, but get off it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think part of it is everyone needs different things. Like I am kind of an introvert. So I'm not whatever. I'm really an introvert. I'm not necessarily looking for a group of friends that I see in person 
you know, three times a week. But that's very different from other people. So being clear about what you're looking for. I'm also at a point in my business where I'm not really looking for business advice, maybe in the same way as if you were starting up, you know? So being clear about what you're looking for and then thinking about where you can get it from. Tell us about this mastermind that you're in. What does that look yeah. like and how did you start it? This, <laughs> this is actually a great question because so I work in the yarn industry. I mean, separate from Fresh Stitches, I also do lots of things in the yarn industry. So I do marketing consulting and I teach business classes. I guess kind of like the Creative Live class, but for our trade show. And a friend of mine in that sphere wanted to start a mastermind. And she emailed me about it in like, November 2014. And I was two months before my baby was born. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing things that don't earn me money. But, you know, it's this thing of what's important to you, what do you value? And she wanted to invite a few people who I really wanted to have recurring conversations with. And so I was like, I'm going to be sitting in a pitch black room if my daughter's sleeping and, you know, I'm going to flake out if she's not sleeping. That's just how it's going to be. And that was three years ago now. So the first Thursday of every month, no, sorry, it's the second Thursday. It doesn't matter when it is. Um, we, <laughs> we <laughs> it's meet a on day. Skype. It's a day. We meet on Skype and the format we use is one person has what's called the hot seat, which is they have a problem they need help with and it goes to whoever needs it. So it's not like every, you know, if you have a problem, you ask for it. So everyone goes around and says a five minute just update about what's going on in their business. And then the person who has the issue has a hot seat, takes a more in-depth thing and we make suggestions. All of us are people who are fairly advanced in their businesses, although some of us are sort of switching gears and things. And it's like I was saying before, it's having someone who's really willing to step in your shoes for that hour and not just be like, yeah, use this email program and not listen to what you need. I feel like it's so easy to Google and get a million people's opinions on the best email programs to use. But unless you're taking into consideration what I need, the advice kind of doesn't work, you know? So it's been really great. I do have friends and masterminds that have not worked out. I think a personality thing is like, these are actually my friends as well. So I think that's an important component. Like that draws me in because I want to see what they're doing. I love this. I highly recommend them. I've been a part of mastermind groups for a long time. And I run my own mastermind group for people who want to join mastermind groups. And I just can't speak highly enough about it. And I love to geek out with people about, well, how do you design yours? And what does it look like? Yeah. And how often do you meet? Right. But so I also want to steer us back to designing your own maternity leave, especially yeah. if you're an entrepreneur and you're running your own business. And there's a whole class on it that you teach for Creative Live. So I'll link to that in the show notes so that people can go and take the whole thing. Can you tell us kind of the top highlights? Like, what are the sure. big questions well, people should be thinking about? Sure. I actually want to go back and easy. Because I just read this book, and I'll talk a bit about what I'm not covering. So I Great. read this book called Work, Pause, Thrive. I actually kind of found the book kind of boring and could have been edited a bit. But anyway, it has lots of really great examples. It's written by a woman who's fairly senior in her career, and she lives in Silicon Valley. So she just has interviews with you know women who are fairly advanced. Like I would say she hit the job market in the 80s or so. And so looking at what pausing does or doesn't do to your career 20 years later. And the summary is that people pause in lots of different ways. And when you're 50, no one's going to be like, oh, you took six months off. Like, I'm not going to hire you, even though you have a mask. You know, that's ridiculous. 
But she points out three different ways to pause, which I think is really important to point out. So she talks about people who completely just step off the career path for five years, two years, whatever it is, and then get back on. She talks about people who pivot. So that is, oh, I used to be a lawyer. Now I just do nonprofit stuff because I'm more passionate about it or it fits my schedule better. The third one is really all that I talk about in my creative live class, which is just scaling back. So that's taking what you were doing, trimming it down and working a reduced schedule through the maternity period. I'm not going to say that's the only way you can do it when you're an entrepreneur, but when you're an entrepreneur, you're the show. And I'm not sure how much you can get away with a full on break for a very long period of time. And of course, everyone's businesses are different. If you work a client based business, I think you have a lot better chance of making it work. So for example, if you build websites, and you do one big website design, and it takes you six months to do, and you're very used to having two clients a year, it may be very natural to just say, I'm not taking on a client for quarters three and four, for example. But if you're running a customer service based business like Fresh Stitches, it's hard, at least for me to picture how you would take a year off, like without even checking in your email, you know. So the whole creative life class is about how to do the downshift, the pause. And I talk about three different stages. So there's immediately there's the amount of time that you're taking completely off. And that could be the time you're in the hospital, or it can be a month, or it can be a couple months if that will work for you. Then there's just keeping it alive, <laughs> just, just keep it on going, getting the crucial tasks that you need to do accomplished. And then the third phase is revving back up. And you may never rev back up to how much you were working before. And honestly, I feel like it's no one's business. I have no idea how many hours you work. I know you have a podcast, you know, I, I assume you're involved in some websitey stuff in generating content, but I don't know how many hours that is. And if you have a ghostwriter or if you have a web developer and you're getting it all done in a half hour, you know, whereas you used to be all doing it all yourself, who cares? That's mm. not the kind of information clients and customers even need to know. So a huge chunk I talk about is how to pick out things that are making you money and that are important to the growth of your business, which, you know, we've touched on a lot of those things already. And then how to outsource, because I think that's a really scary thing for people, how to find someone who's going to do web stuff or how to find someone who's going to be a VA or email checking. And that's a huge component of what I talk about as well. I love that. I especially love this idea that the revving back up, you don't know what that's going to look like. And it could dial mm -hmm. back up to 75% of what you were doing before, or 150% because you get so good at creating systems. Sure, what, yeah. what was it like for you? Your daughter is three now. And yeah. tell us about where you are now. Well, so actually, life is crazy different from where I thought it would be. So okay, so let's go to December 2014, before she was born. Blogging was the jam back then. So I had been writing daily blog posts, probably up until early that year, tons of traffic through blogging, you know, you'd have these blog posts that had like 30 comments on it. Beginning when I found out she was pregnant, I wrote and scheduled a blog post once a week for six to nine months. Because I really thought like, holy crap, I can't let the blogging die. And I felt bad actually about only doing it once a week. And I think I scheduled like two per week, like randomly. 
you know, it came out a year later and people aren't really blogging anymore. Like Google Reader collapsed. I don't know. Blogging just wasn't even the same thing anymore. So yeah, like the landscape can completely change. So you don't want to put too much stock in the future. In the realm of being open to new possibilities, I took my daughter to a trade show at four months old because, you know, I had to bring her with me everywhere. I wore her in a carrier and I walked the show floor, you know, as if like this was completely normal and people didn't care, which is great. And I talked to a yarn company and it came up that I had been looking for, I wanted to do a a line of my own yarn, like pick my own colors and stuff. And they were like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And so I actually worked with this yarn company to make my own line of yarn. And six months later, they offered me a job as their marketing and creative director. So I would have never pictured I would take on a completely new role in life with a four-month-old baby strapped to my chest. But those are the sort of things, if you're just open to them, and it was completely compatible with the type of life I wanted to lead, which was, you know, doing some computer work, right? Like doing some things that were requiring more more learning on my end in like the marketing domain. So my rev up, I actually ended up shutting down the physical product section of my business because it's just too much. Like I reached the point where I either had to hire an employee or stop doing it. And we moved to LA in that time. And just the idea of renting a studio space to have an employee come in to wind the yarn, the profits just weren't even going to be there anymore. So I switched everything to a digital subscription club. So people pay a lot less and they get a digital download. From that perspective, a ton of work went away, all the physical shipping, blah, blah, blah. And it looks completely different though than I ever dreamed it could. So I would encourage people not to get too focused on my rev up is going to be like this. I'm still working fewer hours than I did before, but people would never know because I'm doing different kinds of work. And some of those kinds of work are more easily outsourced than they were before. That makes so much sense. And it's so true to everything I've experienced and so much of what other women have shared, which is that it just keeps changing, like every six months or 12 months, and you can't really plan perfectly ahead, but you can kind of plan ahead. You know, there's steps you can take, but there's also being able to respond to what's happening. I think that's important. So I mean, I think before I had a baby, I had heard a lot of you never know your baby might not like carrots, you never know. And I always thought it was sort of just really wishy-washy sounding. But I think even more important than you don't know what your kids like is you don't know what the world is going to be like. I mean, I used to periscope. Does that even exist anymore? I don't know. (laughs) And so the world changes so fast. And the life cycle of a business a year or two years down the road is so different. So I'm such a big believer in systems in making the work that you're doing super efficient and having an eye towards the future in that you want it to be sustainable and creating, if you're a content creator, creating evergreen content, you know, stuff you can still pull from, even if blog posts are dead, you can pull it together in a kind of an archive or a magazine, a digital magazine or whatever, keeping that library of work that you have really tidy so you can go back to it and just keep reinventing it. I think is a really underutilized part of all businesses. Because if you've been in business for a year, hopefully you have a year of really great development that you've done that you can continue to harness. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like one example is I use Edgar, which is a um, yes. for people who don't know a planning post to Facebook sort of thing. And if you spend a few hours dumping every customer photo you've been sent, the quotes you really like, blog posts you love, you're now creating a system that will just churn that stuff out for you. And I think those are the things we want to think about doing when we're talking about minimizing our time on our business. Because running a business isn't just posting stuff to Instagram like 30 hours a week. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to get a bit smarter than that. And I think what you're saying here that's so important to make this distinction is that advice, right, that mothers or soon-to-be mothers get where it's like, well, you just don't know, you don't know, you can never know. Like, that's personally, that was infuriating for me. Mm -hmm. And you're not saying this. And I think it's important to note, you're saying, like, invest in smart systems and know that, like, you're going to have to stay agile and adapt and change, right? The world might change, things might change. And if you invest in staying agile and able to respond those skills will serve you well, which is different than being like, ha ha, the world might just be different, you know? Yeah, and so- I mean, I think it's such poor advice to give a new mom. You never know. Like, well, I hate to tell you, like, 40-year-old lady, you could get hit by a car tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, pick any <laughs> yes, person, yes. your world may change tomorrow. Right. And so that's not good advice. All of our lives are going to change. And I think it creates this defeatist attitude of, I'm going to have a baby uh, it all might be awful. So (laughs) I'll just stop doing anything. Like that's not the path forward. No, (laughs) not at all. Uh, Stacey, Um, this has been so amazing to talk to you. And I have a notebook full of tips. And we are going to write them up in the show notes for everybody so that you can link to her site and link to everything that she has shared with us. Stacey, what's the best place for people to find you on the internet? Where can they find your work? So I'm at stacytrock.com. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-T-R-O-C-K.com. And on the various social medias, I'm either Stacy Trock or Stacy underscore Trock. So I'll send you those links for the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First... If you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, If you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.